Welcome. Welcome to the porch here on Firefall Talk Radio. I'm Richard Grund. This is where we get back to basics, the red letter basics, the Word of God unfiltered, not watered down, following the example of the Book of Acts Church. And in doing so, we have discovered how the early church served the Lord. We delve deeper into Scripture, and the church we see, the church we want, is the one the Lord intended and not the one that man created. Man has a way of creating things in their own image. We want it in the Lord's image. The Porch is an online community of believers restoring the priesthood of the believer and the world-shaking influence of the early church. Church age is still in effect. The day of Pentecost is ongoing. The fire of the upper room still burns. The Porch is an outreach of Solomon's Porch, Inc., a Florida not-for-profit since January of 2000. On Solomon'sPorch.org is that webpage. Or you can go to FirefallTalkRadio.com. You can contact us there as well. If you have a need, praise report, prayer request, just let us know. Make sure you bookmark the speaker site for Firefall Talk Radio, the main broadcasting site. Subscribe to us on the Spreaker app to get updates on when broadcasts are posted or happening live. We're on Facebook and Twitter, and uh, we appreciate each and every one of you that listen, whether it's here on Spreaker, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, SoundCloud, Podcast, Podcast Addict, Deezer, CastBox, and where it all began on Blog Talk Radio. We're increasing our reach. We're awakening the remnant. Let us know where you're listening to us. We'd like to hear from you. If you want to support what we do, you can do that with the PayPal link at the bottom of the Firefall Talk Radio homepage. You can also use the Venmo app. We're found there as at Firefall Media Group, one word, uppercase on the F, the M, and the G. We appreciate each and every one of you that support us. And for your encouragement, just give us the Lord leads. I know you hear from a lot of people. Everybody's asking for something. I really don't like doing this, but the Lord has impressed upon me I need to. So thank you. Thank you to each and every one of you that have answered the call. Now, anyone not wanting to hear the community part of the porch can direct, jump directly to the chapter marked Shofar and go right into the lesson. We start out every Bible study, every teaching, every preaching, everything I do with praise reports and prayer requests. I feel like you can't go into the presence of the Lord without first being thankful, without first praising Him. And I always go first simply to establish the example. I believe if we had more of that in the fellowships, in the meetings, then more people would do it. People follow the lead of those that are in positions of leadership. Hence the word leadership. So I praise him for the home that I'm in, that I'm doing this from, for my wife, for my family, sons, daughter-in-laws, grandson, for our furry kids, uh, some of you call them pets, for all the possessions I have, all this technology. It allows me to do this for him. I praise him for his protection, that even in the midst of the storm, even in the midst of everything going on out there, we are covered. We are hidden under the shadow of his wings. We have available to us things that will keep us safe. I praise him for his ministry, the one that he lets me work for him. For the dreams and the visions, and I know I say this a lot, but folks, they're just nonstop. I cannot close my eyes. I cannot go into a dream state without some sort of spiritual or supernatural occurrence. And I know I'm not the only one. I've talked to others. I praise him for his healing virtues that are still available to us. Whatever your need is, take it to him. Tell him. Ask him. Believe it and receive it in Yeshua's name. I praise him for the, for the ability to praise him for everything. Never take anything for granted. I praise him for his favor and revelation that we are new creations and we are living in prophetic times. If you can't see that, you're not paying attention. I praise him for America, for being in a country that allows us to do this without fear of reprisal or attack. I praise him for the signs that he's giving us, that he's getting ready to return. So we should be ready. We should have one eye on the sky and one eye on the job. We should not be caught unawares. Now let's pray. I pray for the Middle East. 
I pray for Israel and the peace of Jerusalem. Psalm 122, verse 6, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they prosper who love you. And I've always prayed for Israel. I prayed for its leaders. I prayed for its protection. I prayed for his church and his remnant. Pray for America and its leaders and its citizens. We're in the midst of a lot of unrest and turmoil, and I'm sorry to tell you, I don't think it's going away anytime soon. It's the season we're in. It's a sign of the times. And I pray that all the evil would be exposed, and not just exposed, but dealt with. We need divine justice. We need for things to be dealt with. Cannot just bring them out into the light. They have to be taken care of. So I pray that every hidden thing be revealed, no matter what, no matter who, and no matter how. I pray for the fatherless and the widows, the innocents, the victims of injustice. They're always on my mind. They're always in my prayers. The slaughter of the innocents. Every day I become more offended, more angered by the murder of babies in the womb, by the the butchering, the barbaric nature of hacking them up and then selling their body parts. I'm sorry, you cannot be a believer in the King of Kings, Lord of Lords. You cannot be born again and be all right with that. I pray for the missing and exploited children, the victims of human trafficking and sex trafficking, a purely diabolical, satanic endeavor. Pray for our brothers and sisters around the world being slaughtered and persecuted for their faith. We know that as we get closer to the end, this will increase. Therefore, our prayers must increase. Religious persecution, anti-Semitism, the things that we're seeing in the news, the things that are happening are a sign of the spirit of the Antichrist growing bolder and bolder, that spirit of lawlessness that we've been warned about. I pray for divine wholeness, health, and continued healing as we get back to our divine design. We cannot do what he's called us to do without that. So each and every day, I want you to go before him and ask him and pray and speak. Speak out the word. Claim. And I don't mean name it and claim it. I'm talking about speaking the word into existence and believing and receiving. Healing for each and every one of you that have been dealt a raw hand, that have had things happen to you, whether by accident, by the world, by others, whatever it is, right now. In the name of Yeshua HaMashiach, Jesus, the Messiah, I speak to you. I speak to your bodies. I speak to your mind. I speak to your spirit. And I say, be healed. Be made whole. Each and every one of you, my wife, Deb, and everyone out there that is dealing with a sickness, illness, injury, or disease. And in that regard, I pray for protection. That's Psalm 91 covering that keeps you hidden, that keeps you covered by his angelic protection. Pray for inspiration through the Holy Spirit, through the Word of God, maybe through the words I say, for you to be inspired, for you to be edified. We need it. We need it now more than ever. I pray for the remnant to wake up. If you're a part of the remnant, if you've made it through the flood, you've made it through the storm, you've made it through the fire, and he needs to use you, then rise up. Answer the call to action. Answer the call to help. If you've been blessed, be a blessing. If you know somebody that's been blessed, be a blessing. The needs are great. People have needs, ministry needs, personal needs. Firefall has needs. This documentary has to get done. I will not put it out there incomplete, unfinished, or not good enough. I won't do that. I also believe that this is a time for SRT to come forward and hit the road to become highly mobile. That takes money. That takes funds. I hate talking about money. I really do. But I know that the Lord has told me that there are people out there that he has inspired, that he has touched. They just need to find us. They need to hear about us. They need to hear about the porch. They need to hear about Firefall Talk Radio, Firefall Media Group, SRT. So we just pray that the word gets out there, that the open conduits of his blessings to fund the dreams, the visions, and the missions, to destroy the work of the enemy, to set the captives free, to bring the gospel and do what needs to be done would happen. Highly mobile, highly effective. 
able to drive, not fly, unless, of course, the Lord wants to give us a jet. We'll take it uh, to own our own equipment. We're going to get it done, folks. I know it's been long. I know it's it's been delayed. But I've not given up, so don't you either. Keep praying for us. Continue to pray for divine favor in matters. Not just us. I know others who are dealing with legal matters. They're dealing with adversities. They're dealing with needs. We have a fallen world system, but we know the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. We know the great judge. Take it to him. And finally, for all of our lost family members, we call them into the kingdom. We pray them into the kingdom of light, the kingdom of his son. Kim in Fort Mitchell, the only other one I have tonight, says, I praise the Lord for keeping me sober every day, for giving giving me the life that I prayed for. Thank you, Father, for saving my soul and giving me purpose. Thank you for blessing me with my children, my husband, uh, my dog Bruno, my friends, the porch community, and everything else you have given me. It was your will to get a, for me to get a raise at work, and I want to praise you for that. Thank you for everyone who prayed as well. Please continue to protect my family as well as the porch families. Heal our hearts, minds, and spirits. Uh, she continues to pray for Junior and his family. Junior is out in Oklahoma. He and his wife uh, and his daughter had COVID. From what I understand, Junior and his wife went back to work today. Uh, Kim also says, Father, help me be the light in the dark. Show me how to shine. Save my mother and husband's soul and deliver my family and protect the innocent in Jesus' name. Well, Lord, we come to you now. We come to you as your children. We boldly approach the throne of grace and mercy, saying, Abba, Father, Papa, God, Daddy. Abba, we love you. We love you with all of our heart, all of our mind, all of our soul, all of our spirit, everything that is within us, we love you. And we thank you for loving us even when we were unlovable. We thank you for making a way out for us, for not letting the enemy have us, for sending Yeshua, your only begotten Son, to die for us, to shed his blood, to pay our price, to pay for our sins, so that we can be reconciled to you. I pray right now, Father, that every one of your children that does not have an intimate personal relationship with you would find that through the Holy Spirit, that you would be bridged to them, that you would open their heart and their minds, and they would know you as Abba. They would know you as Papa. And Lord, I thank you for what you did. Each and every day, I thank you. I will never forget, ever, I wouldn't have done it for me, but I'm glad you did. You gave me back my soul. You gave me back my eternity with my father. You gave me back my family. You gave me a life. You gave me a purpose. And I am eternally grateful, and I love you. And Holy Spirit, what can I say? Without you, we don't make it. We don't understand. We don't know. We don't have the ability to do what we do without the fruits and the gifts of the Spirit. We don't understand Scripture. We don't know what to say. You encourage us. You you cheer us on. You keep us going. You walk with us. So thank you, and I'm asking for that tonight. I'm asking that you open the hearts and the minds. I'm asking that people receive and understand what you have me share. So, Lord, bless our time. Bless this technology. And most of all, glorify yourself through everything I say and do. In Yeshua's name I pray. Amen. Lessons are proprietary information, except where noted the information comes from outside sources. The combination of that information, the matter presented, is exclusive, cannot be repeated or used without permission. The date of this broadcast serves as the registered date of the following information. In this manner, therefore, pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. 
For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. I've been starting out with this every week, and I'm going to continue to do so until the Lord tells me to stop. It's not a ritual. It's a declaration. It's a reminder for us to understand who he is and who we are in him. That's why for me what this means is, Abba, Father who is in heaven, holy is your name. Let your kingdom come and rule on earth as it does in heaven. Give us our daily bread like the manna in the wilderness and the living bread of Yeshua. Forgive us as we forgive others and let go of debts and any resentment we have against others. Lead us away from the snares and the temptation of the evil one's kingdom. For yours is the kingdom we seek and its power and its glory forever. Amen. So tonight... I can tell you that I'm starting a series. I don't normally do that, but this morning I got up not knowing what I was going to teach on. And then the Lord put it upon my spirit. He wants me to understand, to help you to understand, the kingdom war. Now you notice I didn't say kingdoms. It's kingdom, singular. The only kingdom that matters is his. Now, his is not the only kingdom. We know that the kingdoms of the world will become his kingdoms later on. But the only kingdom that matters is his. So I'm going to be teaching you about the kingdom more. And to do that, I'm going to be taking you deeper into Scripture, deeper into history, an understanding of things that doesn't normally get taught in the church. I've touched on this at the seminars and the events I've done, but tonight we're going to take it to a different place. You need to understand what's going on in the world from a kingdom perspective. You need to be able to see with spiritual eyes that understand kingdom business. Everything happening right now in the news, everything happening on every level in this world has got to do with the fact that there is another kingdom resisting the kingdom of God. And we need to start looking at things not allegorically or symbolically. We need to look at them literally. Sir Isaac Newton said this about the time of the end. A body of men will be raised up who will turn their attention to the prophecies and insist upon their literal interpretation in the midst of much clamor and opposition. That's what we're going to do. But we're going to do it with the kingdom mindset. Go with me to Matthew 24. Been here a lot. This is going to bridge us into where we're going. Open your Bibles. Open your apps, follow along, take notes, download this if you have to. But you have got to start taking this more seriously. Darkness thinks it has the power to block out the light. That is absolutely ludicrous. Light dispels darkness. But if you don't shine, you don't shine bright enough, and if you're not willing To push back the darkness, they win. Matthew 24. Yeshua left the temple area and was going on his way. When his disciples came up to him to call his attention to the magnificent, massive buildings of the temple. And he said to them, Do you see all these things? I assure you and most solemnly say to you, Not one stone here will be left on another which will not be torn down. And, of course, he was speaking prophecy because Rome would come in decades after his death and destroy it all. And while Yeshua was seated on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately and said, Tell us when this destruction of the temple takes place and what will be the sign of your coming in the end, the completion, the consummation of the age. This is where... He begins to hone in. Yeshua answered, Be careful that no one misleads you. 
deceiving you and leading you into error. For many will come in my name, misusing it and appropriating the strength of the name which belongs to me, saying that I am the Messiah, the Anointed One, and they will mislead many. If you don't know it already, there's a lot of people out there throwing his name around. There's a lot of people out there laying his name on things that have nothing to do with him. That's what he's talking about. Verse 6, you will continually hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not frightened, for those things must take place. But that is not yet the end of the age, for nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. But all of these things are merely the beginning of birth pangs of the intolerable anguish in the time of unprecedented trouble. Then they will hand you over to endure tribulation and will put you to death, and you will be hated by all nations because of my name. And at that time many will be offended and repelled by their association with me and will fall away, fall away from the one whom they should trust, and will betray one another, handing over believers to their persecutors, and will hate one another. Many false prophets will appear and mislead many. Because lawlessness is increased, the love of most people will grow cold. If you don't know it already, sin makes people cold-hearted. But the one who endures and bears up under the suffering to the end will be saved. This good news of the kingdom, the gospel, will be preached throughout the whole world as a testimony to all the nations, and then the end of the age will come. Now jump down with me to verse 36. But of that exact day and hour no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son in his humanity, but the Father alone. Take verse 36 and write a note next to it. When the Lord said that, he did not know. He's sitting at the right hand of the Father. He and the Father are one. His thoughts and the Father's thoughts are not one. He knows. For the coming of the Son of Man, the Messiah, will be just like the days of Noah. For as in those days before the flood they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the very day when Noah entered the ark. And they did not know or understand until the flood came and swept them all away. So will the coming of the Son of Man be unexpected judgment. At that time, two men will be in the field. One will be taken for judgment and one will be left. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken for judgment and one will be left. So be alert, be ready, give strict attention. Be cautious and active in your faith, for you do not know which day, whether near or far, your Lord is coming. But understand this, at the head of the house I'd known what time of the night the thief was coming, he would have been on alert, and would have not allowed his house to be broken into. Therefore you who follow me, says the Lord, must also be ready, because the Son of Man is coming at an hour when you do not expect him. The Son of Man is coming at an hour when you do not expect him. But, that being said, he's given us signs to watch out for. What is a sign? It's a posted command. It's a warning. It's a direction. It's something material or external that stands for or signifies something spiritual. In other words, it's a portent. It's something that foreshadows a coming event prophetic indication or significance. That's what we're going to talk about from a kingdom perspective. The Lord gave us signs to watch for, indicators of where we are in the prophetic timeline, what to watch for and what will be going on. The problem is, it's never what we expect. Mark Twain said, a thing long expected takes the form of the unexpected when at last it comes. I do not believe, and I've talked to many people, I interact with many people, and have in the past. I've not met too many people that sees what I see. And I think that's because I have a specific calling. The Lord told me that again today and said it yesterday when Larry and I were praying. I speak to you differently. I show you different things. It always lines up with the Word. It always lines up with the prophecy. But it doesn't mean others will see it. But he's given me the freedom to begin to share with you 
So Matthew 24 is giving us warnings to watch out for in the end times. Nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There'll be famines and pestilences and earthquakes in various places. But all these things are merely the beginning of the birth pangs, merely the beginning of a time of intolerable anguish and the time of unprecedented trouble. We're stepping into that age. We are in what I believe to be the onset of the days of Noah. We're not there yet, and I'll explain why. But what I need you to understand tonight is who is behind the time of anguish and this time of unprecedented trouble. Since we're talking about a kingdom war, we must acknowledge that there is another kingdom, the kingdom of darkness, Satan and his fallen angel and angels and their demonic offspring. So let's get a little history on that. Let's back up a little bit. Some of you already know this. Some of you may be hearing it for the first time. But if you want to understand how we got to where we are, yes, we could go back to the garden. But it really kicks off in Genesis 6. Starting in verse 1, when the people began to multiply on the face of the ground, on the face of the earth, and the daughters were born to them, talking about the daughters of Adam, the sons of God saw that they were fair, and they took wives for themselves of all that they chose. Then the Lord said, My spirit shall not abide in man forever, for they are flesh, and their days shall be one hundred and twenty years. The Nephilim were on the earth in those days and also afterward, when the sons of God went into the daughters of humans who bore children to them. These were the heroes that were of old, warriors of renown. The New Living, that was the NRSV. The New Living Translation takes it a little deeper. In those days and for some time after, giant Nephilites lived on the earth. For whenever the sons of God had intercourse with women, they gave birth to children who became the heroes and famous warriors of ancient times. Well, first of all, because of this, he decided that man would not live beyond 120 years. And some believe that ties to the 120-year time frame to build the ark. That was a time of grace. Now we know we don't live that long anymore because as time wound down, so did our life expectancy. But God determined, our Father determined man's to reduce man's life expectancy because of humanity's predilection to sin and evil. In case you don't know it, unsaved, unredeemed man is evil. But there's a phrase in Genesis 6-4 that should trouble you. In those days and also after that, apparently... The strange things happening in the day of days of Noah were not confined to just the period before the flood. Somehow, and I'll explain that, it began again after the flood. So the sons of God and their wives produced children who were giants, the mighty men of old. And they were wiped out by the flood. Who are the sons of God? <clears throat> Don't understand why my voice decides to leave me just as I start to teach. The sons of God are the B'nai Ha'elohim in Scripture. That term, B'nai Ha'elohim, sons of God, appears four times in the Bible exactly like that. Genesis 6, 1 through 4, Job 1, verse 6, Job 2, verse 1, Job 8, verse 37, and Psalm 29, 1. And in every single instance, it means angels. So the sons of God, the B'nai Ha'elohim, are the watchers from heaven, sent down by Almighty God, sometimes called the Ancient of Days, to preside over the earth and its human inhabitants. Now, why would he need to send watchers? Well, first of all, we've got to remember Satan and his angels have been cast out of heaven. They've been cast down to earth. So humanity needed help. God sends these watchers, 200 of them, 10 rulers of 20. Except here's what happens. They get down here. They see how good-looking 
Adam and Eve's daughters are. And I believe through some kind of satanic influence and mesmerism, they suddenly decide, wow, that looks really good. I think I want some of that. I'm giving you the Richard Grund translation. Basically what they did. They decided to forego their divinely appointed position. They rebelled against the rule of heaven. They left their heavenly state to become terrestrial. In doing so, they disconnected themselves from the throne room. They disobeyed their creator. They gave up heaven for earth because of their defiance. Is there scripture to verify that? Yes, it's in the book of Jude. Jude 1, verses 6 through 7. And the angels who did not keep their own position, but left their proper dwelling, he has kept in eternal chains, in the deepest darkness for the judgment of the great day. Likewise, Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities, which are in the same manner as they, indulged in sexual immorality and pursued unnatural lust, which in the Greek means they went after other flesh than what they were designed for, serve as an example by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. These angels, these watchers, these sons of God spoken into creation at the beginning of time decided to abandon their proper dwelling. And because of that, he has kept them in eternal chains in the deepest, darkest part of the pit until judgment day. Just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the the cities were indulging with angels in gross, immoral, unnatural, sensual perversity. And when the time is done, they will burn forever in an everlasting fire created for Satan and his angels. Folks, there is no out here. There is no redemption. There is no grace for this. I know many spirits have gone out and deceived people by telling them that they can be redeemed again. They can get back their grace. They can get back into heaven. No, no, no. Second Peter 2, 4, For God did not even spare angels that sinned, but threw them into hell and sent them to the pits of gloom to be kept there for judgment. And that hell is Tartarus and was used to describe the deepest part of the underworld we call the pit. He had no pity for these angels. They sinned, and he threw them into the deepest, darkest gloom and locked them in chains until Judgment Day. There is no freedom. There is no redemption. They're they're even lower than Sheol. They're deep, deep, deep dark, and I believe it's in the center of the earth. I can't prove that. I just believe it. I believe the burning molten fire core is what the, the, the lake of fire is. So these watchers, they rebelled. They sinned against God. We've talked about the watchers before. They mentioned in Daniel 4, verse 13, Daniel 17, Daniel 23, Jude 6 and 7, also mentioned in 2 books that are not a part of the canon, First Enoch and the Book of Jubilees, and they're also mentioned in the Dead Sea Scrolls, something called the Book of Giants. The disciples and the Jews of that day knew these stories. They knew the writings. They knew the history. Along the way, it's been kept from us. Was, I'll talk about that later next week. I don't want to give you too much intellectual stuff this week, but I'll explain to you why they kept it from us. But these watchers, they're bound. They're in pits. They're in darkness. Why? Here's why. Well, it's a mathematical equation. You take the sons of God, you put that into the daughters of Adam, and the end result is the Nephilim. Supernatural human hybrids, genetic mutations, abominations. Their effort to rebel, their effort to create their own offspring went horribly wrong. And there's a reason for that. There's a reason why it went so badly. That's because these angels did not understand creation. See, we were made in the image of God, according to Genesis 1.26. And from that point onward, everything that reproduced and gave birth was based upon the founding principle, God, man's image, Adam, 
Eve came from Adam, so the genetic structure of man was locked in. It could not be mutated. It was divinely ordained. However, when the fallen angels entered into the daughters of Adam and added their seed into the mix, it did not match with the DNA of humanity. And the mismatch created a mutation, a genetic mismatch. Programming goes haywire, and what's created is an aberration of the original design, and that mutation we call the Nephilim. And when it says they took for themselves wives, you know it's always plural. It didn't say they took for themselves a wife. It says they took for themselves wives all that they chose. I personally believe and teach that this indicates the first recorded event of forcible polygamy. And from what I read in Genesis, what I read in Enoch and some Jubilees and some other accounts, Josephus did it, I'll mention that in a second, um, it doesn't, doesn't sound like there was any resistance. Now, maybe it was fear. Maybe it was flattered. Wow, this really good-looking angel wants me. I don't know. I don't know. But what I do know is what we see is the end result is the Greek and Roman legends of half man, half animal, half this, half that, of the Greek gods, the Roman gods. Legends come from truth somewhere. And I believe that all of the legends we hear about happened in the time before the flood. Now, I don't know how they did it. There have been some people that taught about that. Maybe we'll get into that another time. It doesn't really fit a Bible study um, time frame. Maybe it was um, force. Maybe they were raped. Maybe it was deception. Maybe they shapeshifted and took human forms or identities. Maybe it happened at nighttime through sleep paralysis and is the origin of the incubus legends. I don't know how it happened. What we knew, do know is according to scripture, these hybrid human creatures were born. And when the Bible used the word wives, it correlates in Hebrew 115 times in the Old Testament that it was a permanent ongoing relationship. Now, from the story in Enoch, and I will explain to you next week why I consider aspects of Enoch correct. They line up with the word. They are quoted by the Lord and by the disciples. I've had people um, accuse me of heresy. I've had people attack me. Funny thing is, one of the people, I won't mention names, who used to attack people like me for teaching on this and teaching on the Nephilim, now thinks he's the go-to guy for all this information. He's the teacher of the supernatural, though he's had no personal supernatural experience in his life. Won't go there. Let it go. But I believe that when they got a taste of this, this human sexual interaction, they couldn't stop themselves. Let me read you just one part of the book in Enoch. First Enoch, it's the only one I pay attention to, chapter 1. And again, First Enoch lines up with Scripture, lines up with other books that line up with Scripture, lines up with the Dead Sea Scrolls, which really lines up to Scripture. It came to pass when the children of men had multiplied that in those days were born unto them beautiful and comely daughters. And the angels, the children of heaven, saw and lusted after them, and said to one another, Come, let us choose us wives from among the children of men, and beget us children. And Samyaza, who was their leader, said unto them, I fear you will not indeed agree to do this deed, and I alone shall have to pay the penalty of a great sin. And they all answered him and said, Let us all swear an oath and all bind ourselves by mutual imprecations not to abandon this plan, but to do this thing. And then they swore they all together they swore all together and bound themselves by mutual imprecations upon it. And they were in all two hundred who descended upon who descended in the days of Jared on the summit of Mount Hermon, and they called it Mount Hermon because they had sworn and bound themselves by mutual imprecations upon it. I've taught about Mount, Her Mount Hermon. I've taught about the, the cave of Pan. Uh, the transfer transfiguration of the Lord happened on Mount Hermon, I believe, is an in-your-face to the fallen. But what we understand is that they created a society. Now, remember, the days of Noah were just not 120 years. It was 
120 years from building the ark and being a preacher of righteousness, the days of Noah were anywhere from 400 to 1,200 or 1,400 years, depending upon whose commentary you read. Remember, in those days, they lived a lot longer. And for the Nephilim to cover the entire earth had to take generations. So this is a long period of time, which is why I believe the legends of the Greeks and Romans come out of that period of time. But they were destroyed in the flood. One of the other things I teach and have explained to you, that when the human bodies were destroyed, their supernatural spirits lived on. That's where the demons came from. But the angels that committed this sin had to watch the destruction of their children and of their society and then were put into the pit to await the final judgment. Angels were not ordained to live this way. They were ordained to live in a specific way, and according to the Lord, angels do not engage in the practice of marriage or having children, Matthew 22, verse 30. For in the erection, when the, the, the Pharisees try to catch him in a, a test, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, well, if my, my brother dies and his wife marries, blah, 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 and all the way down to seven, whose wife is, is he? Does she belong to, rather? And he looks at them and realizes what they're saying, and he tells them a biblical heavenly truth. For in the resurrection they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like the angels of God in heaven, who do not marry nor produce children. That's why the angels are all men. I do not believe in female angels. I do not see that in Scripture, nor do I see a reason for it if they don't procreate. There's another book called the Book of Jubilees. Jubilee chapter 6, verse 6, And against his angels whom he had sent to earth, he was very angry. He commanded that they be uprooted from their dominion, and he told us to bind them in the depths of the earth, and behold, they are bound in the midst of them, and they are isolated. Josephus in the antiquities of the Jews. For many angels of God accompanied with women and begat sons that proved unjust and despiser of all that was good. And on account of the confidence they had in their own strength, for the tradition is that these men did what resembled the acts of those whom the Grecians called giants. The book of Jude lines up with everything I just said. Jude 6, and in the same way, there were heavenly messengers in rebellion who went outside their rightful domain of authority, abandoned their appointed realms. God bound them in everlasting chains, keeping them in the dark abyss of the netherworld until judgment of the grace day. Why am I belaboring this point? I need to get you to understand that the spirit of lawlessness that began in the Garden of Eden exploded during the days of Noah, powerlessly and without any effort, led the world into a habitual practice of sin, perversion, and rebellion. And we see it to this day, and we're beginning to see it in a way that we've never seen before. It's exploding. Why? Because man is allowing it. It's legislating for it. It's telling us that the fallen are setting up the kingdoms of this world just as it was when they left. It started with Satan, extended through the angelic host, and humanity on every level was systematically violated. The fallen ones have spawned a race of raging tyrants, whether they're the demigods of Egyptians, Greeks, and Rome, or the Persians or the Babylonians, self-serving, unchecked power. Their very existence is the definition of sinfulness. And their lawless lives were brought to the, an end at the flood of Noah. But their behavior didn't stop. Dr. Chuck Missler wrote in the return of the Nephilim, there were a number of tribes such as the Rephaim, the Emim, the Horim, and the Zamsumim that were giants. The kingdom of Og, the king of Bashan, was of the land of the giants. Later we also find out Arbor, Anak, and his seven sons, the Anakim, also his giants, along with the famed Goliath and his four brothers. When God revealed 
to Abraham that the land of Canaan was to be given to him. Satan had already had 400 years, according to Dr. Missler, to plant his, plant his minefield of Nephilim. When Moses sent 12 spies to investigate the land of Canaan, they came back with what? Reports of giants in the land. The term they used was Nephilim. Their lack of faith and fear of those creatures resulted in what? Wandering in the wilderness for 38 years. Folks, we shouldn't be afraid of this. We need to acknowledge it. We need to understand it. But we need to understand we serve the one who created them. Going on, continuing continuing with what Dr. Mislow said. When Joshua and the nation of Israel later entered the land of Canaan, they were instructed to wipe out every man, woman, and child of certain tribes. Now to many, that strikes us as disturbingly severe. But it would seem that in the land of Canaan, there was a gene pool problem. There was a bloodline problem. Hence why he flooded the whole earth and killed everybody but Noah and his family who were pure in their generation. They were pure in their bloodlines. Everybody else's bloodline was tainted. These Rephaim, Nephilim, and others seem to have established an advance guard to obstruct Israel's possession of the promised land. And he finally says, was this the stratagem of Satan? And I say it was. But I also want to tell you something else. The Lord's not fooled, and the Lord is not caught off guard. He made a contingency for this. We see it in Luke chapter 10. He sends the 70 out. The harvest is great. The laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Listen to me, remnant. Stop sitting on your spiritual cushions and understand that you're the laborers of this harvest. I sent somebody a word today. You have an end time calling. And they wrote me back. I know I'm trying to understand it better. Wake up. Answer the call. Picking up verse 3. Go your way. Behold, they send you out as lambs among wolves. Carry neither money bag, max, uh, money bag knapsack, sandals, nor greed no one along the road. But whatever house you enter, first say, Peace to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest on it. If not, it will return to you. And remain in the same house, eating and drinking such things as they give. For the laborer is worthy of his wages. Do not go from house to house. Whatever city you enter, they receive you. Eat such things as they set before you. Heal the sick there and say to them, The kingdom of God has come near you. But whatever city you enter and they do not receive you, go out into its streets and say, The very dust of your city which clings to us we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near you. But I say to you that it will be more tolerable in that day for Sodom than for that city. So Luke ten one through 12, he sends the 70 out. Well, in verses 17 to 20, the 17 return. And the 70 returned with joy. A 1770. The 70 returned. Well, there was 17. But then we added, what, another 53? Math. What an amazing thing. And they said, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I give you the authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this that the spirits are subject to you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. The Lord made a way. He made a plan. David and his mighty men of valor, Joshua and the, and the warriors of Israel, they were slaying Nephilim. They were killing giants. But their supernatural spirits they could do nothing with because they did not have the blood of the Lamb. They did not have the infilling of the Holy Spirit. Serpents and scorpions, I believe, are supernatural manifestations like the ones coming up out of the pit at the end in Revelation. This war, this kingdom war, has been going on since Satan fell. The Lord said, I I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. You know, he didn't say that to him in the wilderness in Luke 4. He could have. He could have rebuked him. 
He could have told him to shut up. He could have said, hey, remember me? I'm the one who threw you out of heaven. He didn't do that. He left us an example of our authority and the way to do things. Revelation 12, 7 through 9. And war broke out in heaven. And Michael and his angels fought with the dragon and the dragon and his angels. Therefore the dragon and Satan fought. But they did not prevail. Nor was a place found for them in heaven any longer. So the great dragon was cast out, that serpent of old, called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. He was cast to earth, and his angels were cast out with him. We know from Genesis 12:4 that he took a third of the angelic host with him. As Dr. Missler said on Reflections in the Dark when we interviewed him, Satan has a numbers problem. He's outnumbered two to one. Then you add to that to the spirit-filled church and the people that fight against him, he needs another Nephilim birth project. Not going into that tonight. Just want to drop that into you. But his fall was catastrophic. It was explosive, like lightning, forcibly, violently. He was thrown out of heaven. This wasn't a, hey, get out of here. This was, you're out of here, never speak in your name again, and then thrown down to earth. His his effort to run a coup in heaven against the rule of God cost him everything. And instead of ruling in heaven, his kingdom was on earth. And that's confirmed in Isaiah 14. Oh, how you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning. Oh, how you are cut down to the ground, you who weaken the nations. For you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne against the stars of God. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation on the farther side of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. Folks, that's why he wants the Temple Mount. That's why he wants Jerusalem. He wants to declare himself as God when they build that third temple. And the stars of God we know from Scripture refer to the angels that God created. We know that from Job 38, 4 uh, four through 7, when uh, God asked Job, where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me, if you know and have any understanding, who who determined the measurements of the earth, if you know? Who stretched the measuring string upon it? Or what were its foundations fashioned to? Or who laid its cornerstones when the morning stars sang together and the sons of God, the angels, shouted for joy? Satan, the God of this age, has blinded the minds of people to serve him, to help him break his brothers and their sons out of prison. Now, we know the Lord's going to open that prison and let them out. And anybody who thinks you want to be here after that, so be it. I've seen in dreams and visions what it'll be like. You don't want to be here. Your choice. But Satan, according to the Lord in Genesis twelve thirty one, is the God. He's the ruler of this world, but he will be cast out. The God of this world, as m- mentioned in Second Corinthians four, verse four. We know, we know that we know that we know this is how it plays out. This is how it happens. We cannot be blind to this. We cannot keep looking at everything from a natural perspective. I'm going to go here and I'm going to be careful. What you're seeing politically right now is a battle between kingdoms. It's a battle between darkness and light. It's a battle for America. It's a battle for the church. Stop putting your hope in men. God will use men. Hey, he used the donkey to stop the madness of a prophet. He can use anyone he wants to use. But let's not elevate people that God uses. Because once you elevate somebody that God uses, you're daring him to knock them down. He will have no other gods before him. We need to stop worshiping human idols and get our eyes set on the throne room. We are in a kingdom war. A war that shouldn't be even even. We shouldn't, this shouldn't even be a question. He took captivity captive. He made a spectacle of them. He gave us all authority in heaven and earth, and we're fighting for our lives. That shouldn't be. 
Let me say that again. That shouldn't be. David and the mighty men of valor and, and Joshua and the warriors of Israel, he gave them power to slay the Nephilim in numbers. David and his men of valor fought for so long, the, the swords sunk into the meat of their hand. That's supernatural fighting. That's fighting beyond supernatural ability. We've been given the creative power of the universe that spoke them into existence inside of us. You should have the confidence and the ability to speak to them in power, to speak to them in the name of Yeshua. I know I've done it. If you need videos to see it, to encourage you, let me know. But the fact is, the name above all names forces them to bend their knee. We know we are headed into a period of time where it's going to get worse. But I'm telling you to have hope. I'm telling you to stand up. I'm telling you to understand where you are. Excuse me, in the grand scheme of things. What a battle this has been. So be it, we press on. We're going to go a little further into this. We're going to get a little deeper into this. I'm going to get you to understand as much as he'll allow you to understand. To be able to see. Can't promise you that you'll see in two worlds. Not sure you'd want to. Some of you say, oh, yeah, that's what I want. And then he gives you a glimpse. and go, oh, no, that's not what I want. Things start showing up in the middle of the night. They start doing things because they know you can see. They don't like that. They don't like to be seen. But what I will do is give you revelation. I will give you the ability to see in the word, see through the word, use the word and prophecy and what I'm sharing with you as a filter to understand what's going on around you. To be forewarned is to be forearmed. Knowledge is power. So, Father, I ask right now, with what I have just poured out onto them, that they would begin to understand that you'd be stirring them up. You're stirring up your enlightenment, the, the knowledge of you inside of them. You're giving them eyes to see and ears to hear. You're stirring up inside of them the, their place in the kingdom. And we pray right now, Lord, you'd slow things down. I know that suddenly things, things seem to be on a fast track, and I will not interfere with your will or whatever you're doing, but I'm asking, give us a little more time to be about your business. Give us a little more time to, to bring in the harvest, to, to get the provision needed. There's so much to be done. Not only the laborers are few, the support is few. We need aerial support, Lord. But most of all, we need you, Holy Spirit, to fill anyone not filled. Give them the gifts. Give them the fruit. Let them be useful right now in this kingdom war. I pray a hedge of protection over each and every one that receives this and steps out in faith. No harm shall come near your dwelling, that neither you, your family, your homes, your possessions will be harmed. No sickness, illness, injury, or disease. And I pray this in Yeshua's name. Amen. So much stuff to cover, folks. It's going to take me a couple of weeks, so let's end here. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace, give you shalom. I'm Richard Grun. This has been The Porch on Firefall Talk Radio. Mm-hmm.